the hardest part is to ask people to change their habits. Like, uh, stop taking planes, <laughs> stop taking your car, stop using so much energy for doing this and that, stop consuming this because it's emitting a lot of CO2 emission, stop eating beef. And so we're giving them all the tooling, everything to not change too much the habits. That's Thibaut Hugues de la Rose, the CEO and co-founder of Backmarket, a marketplace for refurbished devices like smartphones and laptops. They are the most valuable startup in French history and have raised over a billion dollars since they launched in 2014. That includes $335 million in May this year with a valuation of $5.7 billion. Now, obviously, Backmarket is a big success now. But back in 2014, when Thibaut launched the company with his co-founders, they had no idea whether it was going to make it or not. As a founder, it's very hard to take that first leap into the unknown, and even more so when you're in a job you love. Do you risk it all when the odds are stacked against you? The stakes are rarely higher, and it's so difficult to do it well. That is what this interview today is really all about, getting out of your comfort zone, because that is what Thibaut did when he left his job to found Backmarket. And despite being the head of such a successful company, he's managed to stay humble. How do you go from being a middle manager to one of the most successful entrepreneurs in the whole of Europe, pitching to former vice president of the United States, Al Gore, and not get too big for your boots? Well, today you're going to find out. This is Secret Leaders from Kindling Media. I'm your host, Dan Murray-Serta. Backmarket is a part of an emerging class of startups focusing on the circular economy. But what is the circular economy? Why do they want consumers to stop buying new devices? Well, it's all about trying to reduce carbon emissions. Macro picture, first, like we're emitting 36 billion tons of CO2 emission every year as human beings on the planet. And so we know we need to divide them by two right now, and we have to get to net zero within the next uh, 40 years. Otherwise, the human species won't survive within uh, hundreds uh, of years. And you see that challenge, and you think about the root causes, and the tech, the production of hardware tech products is responsible for 4% of those CO2 emissions. Usually when you talk about like CO2 emissions and, and the environment, you kind of think more about, you know, planes, traveling and all this. And when it comes to tech, people tend to think, oh, it's because of, you know, data centers uh, and everything. And you don't have a clear idea of the level of energy uh, and the level of CO2 emission that's required to produce your laptop, your smartphone. But that's actually insane. Uh, to give you a few numbers, like it's emitting 120 kilograms of CO2 emission uh, to be produced. And when it's a refurbished one, it's basically maximum 20 kilograms. So you're saving 100 kilograms of CO2 emissions every time you choose refurbished over new. Because you are not entering again into the manufacturing process, which is responsible for 80% of the CO2 emission of the product. Once it's here, produced, then it's done. The, the impact on the planet is here. You know, we've extracted a lot of raw materials. It's been treated, a lot of logistics, a lot of heating. Uh, in order to manufacture the product and, and deliver them to the end customer. This has been done and that's it. So we kind of approach the thing with back market like, okay, the production of tech products is the big problem. 
So how about doing more with what we already have so we don't need to produce all the time? And then when you double click on, on this and you say, okay, why people are not reusing products? You know, like why they are holding to their smartphones for just like two years uh, or not five or 10, etc. The first issue is trust. At least when it's new, it's safe. You know, I have my warranties, I'm covered, and I can always get refunded in any case, etc. So no trust issues. When it's not new, when it comes to be used, so Craigslist and all the Craigslist of this world everywhere, it's all the way around. You're saving a lot of money, but you're taking a lot of risk because if something happens to the product, then you're on your own. And so this is why uh, we were convinced that the back market value proposition would resonate. Because we were offering them and we were bridging the trust gap and we are offering them basically all the warranty that they can find on you, but on reused product uh, and product that already lived. Changing habits is, is clearly the, the hardest thing. So our approach is we will come as close as possible to the habits of people and offer them the alternative that doesn't cost them anything or not much. Thibaut knew he wanted to be an entrepreneur long before starting back market. So he went to business school and then got an internship with NetEven, which helps small businesses sell their products on online marketplaces across the world. As part of his business degree, he spent time abroad in Mexico, where he had his first idea for a business. Those years when you're a student and you're traveling, you have no problem. Everything is pure joy. And so... Yeah, I traveled a lot in Mexico, and this is where I happened to have my uh, first ideas of, you know, like uh, entrepreneurship. I tried to develop a deal with a, a mate uh, in my classroom. His dad was uh, growing uh, avocados, and I was like, yeah, sure, I'm, I'm sure we can import them in France. You know, they are so good, they taste so well. And so we went pretty far on the project, which ended not to go live because of uh, so many regulation and administrative stuff. Then came back to France for a year, then went back out traveling and spending uh, my first year of master's degree in Delhi, in India. Completely different planet. The culture is so different, you know, they, they kind of live for the life of after. So if you do good in your actual life, then you will be upgraded. And so I find them fascinating, very peaceful very different from our Western culture and standards. So I think I, I really like to discover new thing and new culture. And I was, uh, I, was, I was very excited by my journey in India because everywhere you go, it's different. So I came back, I finished my master's degree. I knew I wanted to create a business, but I also knew it was, you know, I've never really worked. I had some internships, right? But it's, Let's face it, it's not the same. And so then the question was, how can I, where can I go where I feel like I will be learning things that could help me further when I want to create something? And I, I felt pretty much attracted with the internet because I thought that, you know, it was developing very fast and that also that kind of opened uh, the door to building things at scale and have a massive impact. That I think that was exciting, you know. I didn't know much, to be honest. But I was like, okay, this is exciting because this is a land of opportunities to create stuff 
and that was fairly new at the time, which was uh, basically 10 years ago. I looked for a, a, an internship, the last internship of my master's degree. I found NetEven, uh, and then uh, I got hired after my internship. And so stayed there for close to three years, uh, and I learned so much. I'm super grateful to the co-founders of NetEven again. I discovered marketplaces. All the beauty of those models resonated quite a lot with me because I really felt like you don't have to like raise a million or invest like so much money to set up a marketplace. Really not because it's not your stock. You just need to, you know, solve many problems, obviously, with the chicken and the eggs, etc. But I think that was a fantastic land of business creation opportunities. And then I spent so much time looking at, you know, how Amazon is working, how eBay is working, how Play.com was working in the UK, how Walmart was working in the US, because NetEven was essentially plugged like as a middle software between all those marketplaces. And what was your, remind me, what was your role there? I was uh, essentially an account manager. And the reason I'm asking um, Thibault, and, and please carry on straight after this, I guess, clarification, but the reason I think it's really important to share you were an account manager, I was previously an account manager too in a, in a creative agency. The reason I think this is important is because you've gone on to found one of the most exciting, highly valued startups in, you know, well, in the world, frankly. Um, and you didn't, it's not like you were the CMO. It's not like you were in the leadership team. It's not like you were, you know, I'm not trying to insult your expertise, <laughs> but I think it's really important to give our listeners also, uh, you know, really creative inspiration here that it doesn't necessarily matter what your previous role is. You know, a lot of people listening right now will have entry-level roles, will have mid-level roles, will have senior roles. None of that stuff matters. What matters is what are you learning and how are you applying it? And this is a really, really great example of that. So I just wanted to clarify where you were in the stack, essentially, of that company, because what it sounds like is middle management yeah it is and it was totally middle management i was individual contributor essentially so my job was to help you know clients to grow their business and actually i think it's the best uh, job to really feel the pain of the sellers because i was talking to sellers every day like i could i could listen to the actual pains and within my book like my my uh, seller's portfolio i had four refurbishing factories of smartphones and 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 we were talking a lot about their pains, like, oh, my inventories are moving so fast, you know, they're not new products, so I don't have hundreds of them. It's like, uh, I, I have two of those, then they will uh, sell out, then I, I receive 10 in, in two weeks, maybe, and we don't know, it's circular economy, you know, so prices are fluctuating all the time. I was like, wow, this is fascinating. And, and you know, I was plugged literally to their pains, and so that helped me so much to create back market and to have a very clear sense of the value creation that they needed. If you're trying to grow your startup and you're dealing with companies outside of the UK, you're probably going to need ISO 27001 at some point. It's not the sexiest acronym, but it's basically the global standard for proving your security practices are up to scratch, like how you handle customer data. The same goes with SOC 2. You're going to need it if you're a SaaS company. 
But achieving these security frameworks can be very tedious and very costly. This is where our partner Vanta comes in. Vanta automates up to 90% of the work for certifications like ISO 27001, SOC 2, GDPR, HIPAA, and more, getting you audit ready in weeks instead of months and saving you up to 85% of the cost. And as a special offer, our listeners get 20% off Vanta. Just head to vanta.com slash secret leaders. That's vanta.com slash secret leaders for 20% off. There's a link in the description. Look, you know I'm fascinated by AI, but until the machines take over, there's only one thing that's going to determine your company's fortunes. People. This isn't some kind of hollow point to make me look good. If you speak privately to any successful entrepreneur, they'll confirm it's true. So, if you're a leader of a growing business, then you should check out Personio. It brings together all the important HR things like hiring, onboarding, payroll data, performance reviews, and so on. You don't want loads of employees sending you emails asking for time off. You want to be able to see things objectively, like it's taking you too long to hire. You want to do performance reviews well, having clear goals for people that are logged in a centralized system. And you want to do all these things in one simple tool without having to become an HR expert. All of this is possible with Personio. Check it out at personio.com forward slash secret leaders. That's personio.com forward slash secret leaders. There's a link in the show notes. Can I ask you, what did you learn? Like, other than obviously these specific customer issues, what are some really amazing insights you got? And again, the reason I'm asking this is because entrepreneurs tend to go on a variety of paths, right? But one of those paths is you, and I think personally, my view is the best way to become an entrepreneur is to go work for someone else first, um, is to work in another company, get trained get feedback, see how other people do it. You know, it's a marathon, not a sprint. So I think it's really just great opportunity to learn with other people around you before you go and assume you can do it all yourself. That's certainly what happened with me. That's clearly what's happened with you. Again, the question is, what did you learn from working with other people? What was the good and the bad? I had the great balance given by my manager, obviously, of, you know, you have the high level objectives. You have to make, you know, uh, more money, etc., uh, with the, all those clients. But then, uh, when it comes to the how, then I was super free and I had a lot of space for innovation. I had a lot of space to fulfill my curiosity. Whenever I was asking for something, there were always something like it was always showing me, you know, oh, this is how it works. Uh, but you know, this industry is a bit different. This is apparel. Their problem is very different from the wine industry. It's very different from the tech industry. It's so much like it's so different from the refurbished industry. And it gave me all the, um, all the, the lectures, the key to, to basically read and understand every businesses. But it wasn't telling me this is how you should do it. I also happened to discover tech, uh, a lot. And I was fascinated about tech. And this is why, uh, uh, I really like working with uh, Q, my co-founder uh, and the CTO of Backmarket now. It's because when we started at the same time uh, at Backmarket, both interns, it was in tech, I was in, uh, in the business side and there was no product, no product team, no product uh, managers and we're essentially a tech company. So when you don't have a product team, then 
business people are talking to engineers in order to, you know, make the product evolve and everything. And I think that was the best uh, opportunity uh, ever for me because I could literally understand what really are the technical constraints. And I was, you know, making as many steps as possible. I know I knew what I wanted for my clients. I knew, you know, what they could provide and the maximum I could get from them in terms of uh, feeds, in terms of inventory, in terms of uh, of uh, information, etc. But then I had to transform those pieces of information into actual business. And, uh, and so that's where tech comes in place. But you really need to show interest into height works like databases, feed management, etc. Because when you're talking to tech people, you know, they have their constraints. And so understanding that helped me so much, like uh, to understand like uh, how databases are working, how feeds are working, what's possible, what's not. And this is essentially thanks to the proximity we had with tech, but also the proximity we had with Q. Uh, because at the same time, Q was passionate about the business, you know, most of the, the, the engineers at Nadeven were like, okay, we're fine, uh, among ourselves talking about engineering stuff. And, uh, but it was really like, how does that work? Like, uh, how, you know, like business is interesting to, to him. So we kind of found the perfect balance with that. Okay. Let me know your, uh, you know, your constraints. And uh, I'll do as much as possible if you if you tell me how it works and what do they need, etc. So this balance, I think, is the most important thing that you need to have when you create a tech business. Because I've observed a lot of uh, co-founders, non-tech, saying like, you just need to do that. That works elsewhere. But you have no idea of, you know, how many engineers were required, like how complicated is the systems, etc. Yeah, so for you, it was uh, an opportunity to learn how different departments, different people, different complexities actually function and how they work together. And then therefore, how you can communicate and collaborate and bring people together to uh, get the outcome you're looking for. Exactly. Exactly. Which, you know, fundamentally, that is the job of a CEO. That is the job of a founder. It's just, it's an interesting one because obviously sometimes you realize that a little bit too late because you try and take on everything too much yourself. But all of those things are real great hallmarks of uh, excellent leadership. I want to just, um, I want to just focus for a second on something I picked up on because you speak of your last company uh, with so much love, basically. It's clear that you were a fan working there. It's clear that you're grateful for the things you learned there. Um, and again, for listeners who might be working in a company they love, you know, it can be very difficult to be like, well, everything's great here, so I'm going to leave, right? That's an irrational behavior. Uh, it's very hard to find companies you love. And it's also very hard to uh, leave jobs that pay you well and treat you well and all of these things because there's risk associated. It's a lot easier for people when you don't like the company or you don't like what you're doing or you feel it doesn't fulfill you or you happen to work, you know, at an unethical company and you're really into sustainability or whatever the thing is, it doesn't fit your values. This is something different. 
you're working in a company that fits your values, is giving you opportunities to grow, is something you love, you clearly like the founders, you're learning a lot all the time, and you still choose to leave. So talk to me a little bit about what's going on in your head making this choice to leave and start back market. Like, how difficult are you finding this decision? How did you go about it? I think when you really like your job and you, you feel uh, that you are learning a lot, uh, and you have at the same time an idea and a, a strong desire that's growing for entrepreneurship, then it's it's much better to just resign and, uh, and take the decision to create your company because you are really making your decision based upon the fact that you are convinced by the idea, you are convinced that it's going to, you know, maybe going to work instead of if you get bored and everything, then maybe you're just leaving because you're bored. Like, or at least it's it's part of the decision-making process and that could be maybe too much about that and you kind of making it up. Like, it's because I'm creating this company that I'm leaving and the truth might be that the 60% of the decision is because you you were bored and uh, and not satisfied with your, your actual work. So I think that's a good sign whenever you're feeling good in a company, but you feel the desire to create something growing. If you feel it growing like for a while, I think it's 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 worse, even wor- more uh, worse to take the shot because you're clearly doing it for the good reason, uh, which is that you're convinced that there is a good chance that it will work. When Thibaut and his co-founder Quinton LeBrewster, or Q, as Thibaut calls him, decided they wanted to leave their jobs and set up back market, they had to tell their bosses, the founders of NetEven, Antoine Riviere and Stéphane Bro, that they wanted to leave. Thibaut was nervous. We connect with Q and we say, okay, tomorrow morning, we're asking Steph and Antoine to see them. I booked the big meeting room. Every detail was prepared. We sent the email. We made sure the agenda was clear at that moment. And it was just like, you know, like, let's take 15 minutes to talk. As there were no agenda, you know, I started to receive a, a, a Skype, like from my boss saying, uh, there is no agenda at the meeting. Like, uh, there's something in particular I should know and I answered like you know I usually I'm super straightforward with them and I started to answer yeah it's 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 personal so I, I will tell you live uh, and it was like okay let's let's do it now then uh, because Steph and, uh, and Q seem to be available as well and, uh, because it was like kind of stressed as well I was like okay <laughs> so heart was pumping very hard uh, at the time because this may be like 20 meters between my my desk and the meeting room and he so he, he was passing me and i was like okay I'm, I'm coming i'm following you and q and steph came in and i went straight like okay we have something to share with you uh we have that idea it's it's a market-based for refurbished product uh that we want to create we really want to go out and create that company um so that's number one and the reaction was actually very, very good. Uh, I was like, well, I'm not going to tell you myself that's a bad idea to to create a company uh, because this is essentially what we've done. But it was really into, we need to organize ourselves and the, the followings because it was, you know, it was stressed by the fact that we wanted to leave quite fast. I'm like, like, sure, sure, sure. We can make a lot of efforts, etc. We can stay a bit longer if you have a hard time to, 
find someone or, you know, like a reorg, etc. And I started to say, you know, like for us, what would be incredible and very important is that we could develop the API between native and the new that won't take you any single line of code to decode the whole API to connect to other marketplaces. So we will just use essentially the code that is connected and the half bridge that is, is coded and the, to connect with the R system. And so you have our trust and, and, and even because I knew they were super concerned about the roadmap and our technical ability to deliver. This is a huge pain in every tech company, like, you know, the roadmap, the roadmap. And so we anticipated everything like, Q could come eventually and code within back market to finish the work for uh, five days uh, if need, but don't worry, that's not going to take a single piece of your time and efforts, etc. And so we kind of prepared everything in order to have them say, like, yes, of course, like if it doesn't take us anything, like, and they said, yes, okay, if, if it doesn't take us anything or any effort. And I was jubilating at the time because that was the, the, you know, like the, the bigger known on our side that could delay basically the launch of you know, six months, a year, kill the project itself because it's so fragile at the time. And so, yeah, that was a moment. And then we left uh, the meeting uh, with Q and we, we, we drank a lot of beers to celebrate uh, afterwards and say, Hey, it's, that's it. Um, it's happening. Yeah, and it's an amazing moment, isn't it? And I think this is an interesting insight because this is this is what life is about. Life is not just about having an idea because I think there's an overemphasis on ideas in general. It's about uh, what are you risking to take forward your idea? And a lot of people do actually back down from those moments. There's just a lot of fear. If you haven't done something like that before, if you haven't confronted a boss that you respect that you like in a work environment and you like you can be conspiring with your friends about a great idea a lot and I've seen this happen with my friends a lot of people talk not everyone takes action and taking action can be absolutely terrifying and again it's a lot easier when you don't like what you're doing for people that do like what they're doing and still go on to do it anyway. You know, I have a lot of admiration for that because I relate to it. It's exactly what happened with me when I left. I was quite happy in my job, but I still left. This is many years ago. That company didn't work out, but I went on a path of entrepreneurship and you keep going and you keep going and it becomes, you know, your newfound passion and love. You know, it's worth saying I actually also uh, quit my job in, in 2013, so similar time to you. And, you know, I've had... Uh, failures before starting heights which is my current company which fortunately is going well not a failure um as well as secret leaders but these things take me on a journey and the thing that i want to to bring up here is you started backmarket in 2014 again when we see companies like backmarket in the news suddenly we're like whoa what the hell is this overnight success i never heard of like these guys have just come out of nowhere um like you know, that seems like a massive valuation for a, what, a refurbished device marketplace. But of course, there's just so much going on under the surface, grinding out win after win over what is now almost coming up to 10 years, right? I think this is like a really exciting point just to share because you have 650 employees in 16 countries. It is easy, like I say, for people to just 
suddenly become aware of companies like yourself because you hit all of the headlines and become this like phenomenon. And I think what's really different about you than some of these other phenomenons we've had in this in this um, ilk is you haven't really just come out of nowhere. You've built a really great business over multiple years of focus and dedication. So I'd like to talk about that side of the business. I'd like to talk about what it's like to have a vision um, and be building consistently for the long term. And I suppose like a nice way to start is, did you ever believe that you'd be building a, a five plus billion dollar company back in 2014? No, when you, uh, to be honest, when you launch it, you're just looking for uh, for it to live. <laughs> you really wanted to just uh, to work, you know, to have clients. Like with the the day you press the button, that you know that I knew that my mom was going to you know place an order, but you know you never know before you launch. Like, uh, is it just in my mind, or is it you know like? Are people going to be receptive and is the value prop going to resonate? Because, you know, I was convinced, you know, like uh, refurb is so much better than used because it, it's so much more affordable. It comes with the same set of warranties. It comes with, uh, you know, like a much better cost for the planet. I knew the pains for the sellers, the, the professionals. So I was 100% convinced I could add value to them. For the customer, we... You, you have no idea, no way of knowing like if it's going to work before you go live. But you just believe in yourself and your ideas and uh, and you have that vision like it, it just makes sense for every stakeholder. I think that's this is the question. Like, does it make sense for every stakeholder? Does it solve a real, a real pain in their life? So I was convinced, but I could never foresee like the company growing that much. That being said, you know, I'm always like uh, in the field, like, uh, you know, like for me, it's the system is kind of our baby. So we, we built it uh, from scratch. So I know where we are. I know that we still have so much to build, like, you know, circular economy. It's, it's fascinating. The, 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 the more you move forward, the more you see opportunities, the more you see that, you know, nothing has been properly built to scale this. And so the more opportunities there are for back markets uh, to be seized and, you know, to, to, to create meaningful things for both customers and, uh, and sellers. So I don't, I don't really care about numbers, valuation, uh, number of people. I don't really take a lot of moments where I'm uh, thinking on my coach and kind of, uh, looking back and saying, Oh, we were that small and, uh, this is crazy, etc." Um, kind of always a bit focused on uh, the present and the future customers we need to enable them to to basically get rid of every accessory that they have and they're not using anymore it needs to be frictionless it needs to be 100 trustworthy it needs to be simple i'm always thinking about what we what we need to do and uh, always so excited about the the value proposition that we can deliver and that we are not delivering yet and so i don't take that much pleasure into looking back and saying oh we've we've got those trophies that's not the way my brain works i guess back market have been going for eight years now and like in every startup there have been some terrible days but what was the worst of the lot uh i think you know the hardest was basically to 
to let go my first COO, Chief Operation Officer. So we were 30 people at the time. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, basically it wasn't, uh, uh, going well, um, among uh, ourselves. I think that there was a cultural gap. We didn't, uh, at the time we didn't like formulate what was our cultures, our value. That was whole like, uh, um, you know, like, uh, not defined basically. So, uh, intangible. But this is where I felt like for the first time, like, okay, uh, there is a, a cultural uh, gap. Uh, it, it's a misfit, basically. Um, and, and she was great. She had a lot of skills. She was working hard. She was delivering a lot of stuff. And realizing that intangible, like, okay, culture is more important, actually, than hard skills and delivering stuff. And so taking the decision personally to have the discussions with her and say, you know, it's not working. It's not your work. It's not working because your work is working. But it's at the whole, like the, the, it's not working because culture wise, we, we don't, you know, uh, work the same way. And I, I think that's affecting, uh, negatively the company. So that was, uh, the first time I had to have a hard, hard discussion with someone. Uh, and to, to let go someone that was quite important in the company at the time, that was kind of, you know, the three co-founder plus that person being the first new senior person joining the team to help us grow to the next step. And so you kind of, uh, feel not prepared. Uh, I think you're not, uh, until you do it once. Um, so that was taking a lot of uh, energy to me. And I, I could remember I wasn't sleeping well for days before. And I was uh, kind of always looking for excuses like, ah, but, you know, she does that perfectly, etc. But when you are you know, going to bed and thinking about that again and again, I mean, it becomes clear that there is something wrong and you have to take the, the decision. So that was the hardest moment where... I kind of felt like maybe I'm going to scratch the company very badly if I do that, but I kind of feel, okay, this is becoming obvious. Let's be brave. Let's, let's engage the conversation and move forward because if you leave that, then maybe you will build everything around new people, newcomers, new cultures going to grow and, and you are not going to be able to correct things. The, the more you wait, the more painful it will be in the future. I really relate to that. Um, there's been a few times over the last couple of years, I've had to let go of uh, people who uh, were really good. Uh, they had all the skills, they're really good, but the values fit wasn't right. Um, or it was at the time they joined and, you know, as a company grows, things change. Yeah. And it's really difficult because uh, fundamentally other people in the team also seem to be shocked and surprised and don't agree with the decision. But the difference between you and me is uh, other than the billions that you have uh, in your valuation and the size of your company, but is that I failed my last company. And if you fail your last company, one of the reasons I failed my last company is I didn't recognize what you just recognized. I didn't recognize the difference between skills and values and culture fit. Um, I failed to recognize it really clearly. And I let people um, do the work the way they wanted to do the work for as long as they wanted to do the work because they had the skills. And I learned the lesson and I paid the price. And so the second time round, as soon as I understand that, as soon as I start to get a whiff of that, I'm very quick to make sure I don't relive that same mistake because, you know, ultimately 
if you ignore feedback, uh, you'll keep on learning the same lesson. And so I don't want to learn that lesson again. I think it's really impressive that you spotted that early enough, but like you're reflecting, that was one of your most difficult times. Because again, like leaving a company that you're enjoying, letting go of an employee that's objectively doing a good job and has the skills you need to deliver is an impossibly difficult decision. Thank you for sharing that. You've done loads of fundraising. I'd love to know what it was like to pitch Al Gore. <laughs> well, it was a great moment. I had a, a, a Zoom meeting. I, I, I couldn't meet him personally because it was COVID at the time, but I had an hour and a half with him. That was amazing. I couldn't believe I was going to talk to him for real, like former vice president of the United States. And this, you know, like big defender and advocate of we need to fight climate change. And we had, um, I think, very frank and transparent discussion around the challenges of back market. How do we scale circular economy? How do we bring it further? How do we engage with manufacturers? Uh, how, do we, how do we win it, basically? It was great because I felt like he knew a lot about the topic himself. I couldn't even possibly think that he would know about back market before I talked to him. I was like, okay, he's got so much on his plate. No way he knows uh, what we do and everything. But he had time to know, to cover the, the topic, the subject. Uh, and so we could get into uh, you know, almost details. Uh, our business approach, our approach to public affairs, our approach to climate change. Uh, how do we track uh, our impact and all of this? So. Yeah, that was a great moment and he's definitely amazing for me because since he invested he's dedicated his own time to help us forward uh, he, he created a, a round table with eight ceos and myself like you know like a ceo of hp ceo of verizon ceo of huge companies that i could never uh, really approach uh, before or uh, not without him and he was the master of ceremony i was like like pinching myself like is this real he's like uh introducing like uh and uh and here is my dear friend Thibaut. and i was like yes you are my friend uh <laughs> and uh yeah i think it's 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 a great person he wants to have a great impact and he wants to take the fight forward you know he's a great asset and a great partner for us what have been your best learnings on the journey? What are the things that we can, as other entrepreneurs listening to you, what are some of the really important things that you'd like listeners to know if embarking on a, you know, unicorn status, changing a whole industry? What do we need to know to do it well? I think one of the key tips I always give to people when they're asking me, like, how do you scale uh, successfully? For me, it's about finding people that are complementary and different from you and from the skill set that you have. So I take a, a close look at, you know, the people we have inside the company. We have creative people, we have scientific people, we have financial people, business-minded people, operation-minded and wired people. And so all of those people have different brains. And on top of that, they come with uh, different backgrounds from different countries. The more you add into the mix of differences and, and way of thinking, the best it is because every step forward, whenever you're making decisions, you always think about your customers or your sellers and you're thinking, okay, am I bringing enough value? Okay, this is it. So we'll do A before B and, uh, and let's move forward and embark like, uh, you know, like uh, a lot of people around. 
the, the more diversity that you have around the table, the best chances that you have to to solve the problem and, and to get successful. So don't look for clones, people that think the same way as you and always agree. <laughs> look for people that are going to give you a reading that is going to be completely different from yours, but also like so insightful. And you always want to have that I would never have thought about that approach or I'm amazed by what you're offering now or what you've achieved because I don't know how to do that. Amazing. Thibaut, firstly, thank you so much for your time on the interview. Secondly, huge, huge congrats with what is clearly an absolutely brilliant business. Thank you. So nice to speak to an entrepreneur that scaled to that level. Also quite clearly remaining massively humble um, I think your passion and enthusiasm and authenticity really come through even on one conversation with you. So it's been a real pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. It was a pleasure to, to be with you and to chat with you then. Thibaut Oug de la Rose, the CEO and co-founder of Backmarket. Hugely successful and a lovely man. Here at Mindset Win, we want to give you the tools to become better at what you do. Taking inspiration and wisdom from our guests, we will hear stories, strategies, tips and tricks. Told by leading names in sport and beyond. Who know what it takes to get to the very top. There will be two episodes each week packed with amazing stories and practical takeaways for us all to follow. Search for Mindset Win on YouTube and on your favorite podcast app. I've been your host, Dan Murray-Serta. This episode was produced by Ruth Edwards and brought together by our head of podcast, Will Stolleman. We'll be back next week learning from the world's top entrepreneurs. See you next time.